0: Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest shungite collections available. Welcome to the Metaphysical Martini Show, where wit and wisdom come together to bridge the gap between the spirit realm and the physical world, with Ani Avedisian, the Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello, everyone. I'm Ani, Mad Shaman Avedisian. Welcome to Metaphysical Martini. Three part spirit... One part, rational mind. Add two drops of optimism. Give it all a good hard shake and pour. Dress it with the olives of grace and empathy. Sit back, sip slowly, and contemplate the wonder of cosmic co-creation. And a hearty hello to you all. Hello, hello, hello. Thanks for joining me for yet another round of cosmic cocktails on this week's Metaphysical Martini a show that tries to sort out what's true, what's woo, and what gets flushed down the loo. In today's Oh My God People, You Really Need to Watch 2,000 Mules Because You Have Been Played for Fools, how many versions of Hillary will they roll out before people realize none of them are actually Hillary? Leaks from Wade versus Roe? Are they just another distraction to further divide the factions? Well, darlings, tickle my tummy and call me a puppy. Things are about to get mucky and muddy. Perplexed, Babylonian hexed, oh my God, what's next? Strange little world. As always, my darlings, we try to do this with as much dignity in decorum as can be mustered on any given day. And as always, my darlings, we are rarely successful, but we are honour-bound to give it our best shot. And on this show, the Metaphysical Martini Show, we do love the odd shot now and then. Yes, we do. Let me take a sip of today's carefully crafted cocktail. Hmm. Mm. Let me take another sip. (laughs) You know, I think um, that's going to grow on me. And we'll talk more about that throughout the show. Hopefully it won't grow on me so much that I don't know what I'm talking about. I do put a great deal of thought into these cocktails, my darlings, because I have learned over the years that quality over quantity is the better option. Now, if you're joining us for the first time, a very warm welcome to you. If you're returning martini head, lovely, lovely to see you all again. Please be advised to all the newbies. um, Welcome, yes, but do know that we are not a politically correct show. We are not politically correct because we do not wish to erode the intellect. We value common sense, common decency, common courtesy. You know, people... This world has gone just a little bit too off kilter for some of us. And while I don't think we're going to go back to the old ways, the traditional ways, because they weren't all that good either, we really are at that point where we have to think about making a fundamental change to our core values. That's where we are here in the process of the Great Awakening All right, today's show is, I hope, going to be fun for you. It's always fun for me. What do we have planned for you today? Let me take a look at my notes, if I can find them. Yes, today's notes. We have quack, questions, answers, and comments. That's the reason we started the show in the first place, by the way. That's the meat of the show. And today we're going to do weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. We're also going to do (laughs) tarot-a-go-go. I think we're going to have a poetry segment where I share my ridiculously silly, um, but occasionally brilliant poetry with you. And of course, we will end with my favorite part of the show, the recipe for the cocktail of the day. So let's get on with it then. But before we do, let me be a very good girl and take a moment to thank the people who make distribution of this podcast possible. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Dedicated to exploring both the known and the unknown, then helping provide the products and tools to expand your reach. Mystical Wares has a large and varied inventory and is the perfect spot for people who value illumination over indoctrination and know the difference between propaganda and ashwagandha. Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon, Washington. Peeps, if you are experiencing spiritual status, head to Mystical Wares in Mount Vernon because it is a metaphysical oasis. Thanks to everyone at Mystical Wares, and you can reach them online at mysticalwares.com if you don't want to drive all the way up to Mount Vernon. Right, let's get on with the show. Let's start with Quack questions, answers, and comments. If you would like to share the pearls of wisdom produced by your pineal glands on this intergalactically acclaimed show, send your emails to me, ani at or snail mail them to Cosmic Ani P.O. Box 714, Wilsonville, Oregon, 97070, USA. Please, darlings, when you do this, let me know if and how you wish to be identified, because if you don't specify, I will refer to you as omit personal details. Okay, let's shake up the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity, and let's see what pops out. Shaky, 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 shaky. I really should have a little sound effect for this. I think I'll work on that. All right, what are we dealing with today? Ah, you know, I've had more than a few emails and um, questions about the things that I said on the last show, and primarily pyramids and Elon Musk, uh, two separate subjects, okay? It seems a few people objected to my ideas that pyramids were man-made, and also that Elon played both sides. So, please, let me clarify, because after all, I do have a cocktail during the show. Um, So let me respond to these issues um, before I feel the effects of the cocktail. And also, I do appreciate it when you write to me and ask me to clarify, because while I know that each individual has its own unique perspective and level of awareness, clarity to the extent that it's possible is my goal. So I appreciate the opportunity to review and to respond. And I don't have any problem being wrong. Um, At 62 years old, I'm actually very good at it. I've been wrong many times. I don't have a problem if you want to challenge me on anything. Uh, I just, you know, I need to know that I'm making sense. So thanks for writing in. Let's take the Pyramids questions first. Okay. I don't discount extraterrestrial involvement in their design, not at all. I mean, the tunnels, the shafts of light that are set to align with certain constellations, I mean, that is an amazing feat of civil engineering. And I think we've all figured out that the capstans served a purpose uh, other than decorative. Undoubtedly, there was some sort of beacon for extraterrestrial craft. I mean, they have to be. The issue, I had my issue was with how was how those giant slabs of a rock were transported to the construction sites. You know, over ground and over water, it's not really possible. They're simply too big and too heavy, and especially the ones in Egypt, where some of those planes were flooded for most of the year. Um, my suggestion that I shared with everyone, <laughs> and I came up with this back in high school, was that Egyptians didn't haul these rocks all the way from Podunk to the construction site, but they used concrete. They made concrete on site, or at least the largest of the stones were poured and molded on site. I, I simply couldn't think of any other way to complete construction, and it all made perfect sense in my tiny little Virgo mind, and I was so happy to be onto something. Well, apparently I'm not onto something. <laughs> Let me explain. Uh, I was having dinner with my friend Susie Ward, you know, the sassy lady who channels the Matthew books and the Matthew messages. And I was just sharing my pyramid construction ideas with her. Uh, And she wasn't particularly interested, but she's very polite. But then out of the blue, the energy in the room changed from Earth human to some other type of illuminated human. I can only describe it as a, as a burst of joy, and it was none other than Ashtar. Ashtar himself, Starfleet commander of all the ships in the solar system and keeper of our universal Akashic records. And he was so loving and, um, and tender and polite. <laughs> uh, you know, he thought it was a good thing that I was giving such matters deep thought. But he told me that there was more than a little extraterrestrial um, involvement in the movement of those rocks. And he talked about dematerialization and rematerialization. The rocks weren't poured, he said. I mean, the civil engineers, and I'm assuming that these are extraterrestrial civil, civil engineers, they focused intently on the chosen slabs and the boulders. And boulders, apparently, because, yes, not all pyramids are in Egypt. And so the civil engineers would get these rocks and they would focus on them. And once they held that image firmly in their mind, they were able to dematerialize them and rematerialize them at the construction site. Well, I have an open mind. Not so open, of course, that my brains fall out. But I know the cosmos is a multidimensional playground where all things are possible. All right, I can go with that. Um, So my question to him was this. So we see all manner of obvious extraterrestrial involvement in stone carvings. Were well, obvious to some, not all. But we see carvings of ETs in space shuttles, um, you know, control panels, and holding those little magic handbags, which which modern-day astronauts also use. They must be some sort of power pack. But we have no mention that I know of of civil engineers dematerializing and rematerializing giant building blocks. So I'm not expecting stone carvings from ancient Egypt of now you see it and now you don't. Um, But, you know, as far as I know, there is no written description of this particular process. And Ashtar very politely responded by saying it would be impossible to explain the process to third dimension density humans. If it cannot be understood, it cannot be entertained and therefore cannot be recorded. Well, he has a point, you know. I mean, how quickly do we dismiss something that we have no frame of reference for? And I do know beyond all doubt that this was Ashtar, because, you know, we have the pleasure of Ashtar's company from time to time, and we have the pleasure of Commander Hatton's company and various other extraterrestrials. But, uh, okay, Ashtar, Commander, sir, I'm going to go along with that. Um, Because when a high-ranking fleet commander and the director of communications... um, because, yeah, you know, I think Hatton popped in there really quickly, and he's the director of communications. When they interrupt your social hour <laughs> to correct you, you would be a fool not to listen respectfully to their input. And once we'd finished talking about the pyramids, they wanted to say a few words on Elon Musk because um, they didn't think I provided clarity on the last show. And again... When a high-ranking fleet commander (laughs) interrupts your social hour to correct you, you would be a fool not to listen respectfully to their input. He thought I gave the impression that um, Elon was in it for himself. Uh, And I I want to correct that because that's not what I meant. And I listened to to the last podcast, and I admit I was not clear. When I say Elon plays both sides... He does, because that's how you get intelligence. You want to know what your enemies are up to, right? Keep your friends close and keep your enemies closer. So if the darkness won this war, and they won't, Elon wouldn't go into hiding and deprive the world of his intellect. Um, he would somehow work within or around the darkness and find a way to sabotage it. Um, And I didn't make that clear. And my revered E.T. military Starwalker Commander Ashtar assured me that Elon was not just a high level intellect, but a volunteer from an enlightened civilization and 100% humanitarian here to help advance the human race and free it of its shackles of servitude. Starlink is so much more than we think it is, and that will reveal itself um, as the years go by. Uh, And the highly advanced and safe technology he has planned for our race will liberate us from fear-based limitations. And it will make it possible for a small, it will make it impossible for a small handful of people to alter the perception of the majority. So I hope I have cleared that up to everyone's satisfaction. And I will certainly be a lot more careful in the future about how I word my, you know, my responses. So thank you Commander Ashtar for your gracious communication. Um, my partner and I are still buzzing with joy from that encounter that we had with you. All right, so that's taken care of like half the questions in the bowl of perpetual perplexity. So let me shake it up and see what else happens in here. Shakey, shaky, shaky, shaky. All right, let's pick this one. Um, this is from, this is an email and it's from Alejandro in Palmdale. Uh, California, who asks, Arnie, if we believe in the law of attraction, then prepping is a fear-based action that invites catastrophe. A very short and sweet email from Alejandro in Palmdale. Um, So, Alejandro, the workings of the law of attraction depend on the point of attraction. If you are madly prepping, expecting the world to end... And if you're planning how to live out your days as the last living human on Earth, surrounded by zombies, then yes, you are inviting your own cataclysm. If, on the other hand, you think to yourself, well, earthquakes happen, floods happen, Mother Nature goes through periods of destructive physical activity, all of which might compromise distribution and change supply and my ability to travel safely, It would be wise, perhaps, to have backup supplies on hand to maintain quality of life. Then no. You see, that's not fear-based. Fear-based insanity over sensible precautions and situational awareness. It's the point from which you are prepping. If you're doing anything out of desperation, it's not going to go well for you. But if you're just taking sensible precautions, because none of us know what's going to happen tomorrow, and whatever happens, we don't know where it's going to come from, what it's going to look like. See the difference? And Alejandro, darling, you live in Palmdale. In Palmdale, California, you live on the San Andreas fault line. (laughs) You should have better situational awareness than most people. And I hope you have a prep kit, because if you don't have a prep kit, then I hope you are out of town if the fault line gets angry. Okay, let's take another poke around the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. And here's one from a chap named Truman who asks, Dear Arnie, I don't understand why my manifestation process is not working. If we believe in a universal God, it's supposed to happen. We are supposed to get the things we want. It's not happening. Why isn't it happening? Why can't I manifest the things that I'm trying to manifest? Is there something the books are not telling us? Boy, Truman, um, there are hundreds of New Age books out there swearing up and down that if you just believe the universe will grant all your wishes, And while in a greater sense that is true, let's examine what they mean by believe. We all believed in the tooth fairy once upon a time. Saying I believe and crossing fingers, that's not going to cut it, is it? In fact, don't even use the word believe, belief. The word you need is alignment. I believe in the existence of a being named Lucifer, but I assure you I am in no way aligned with him. Believing in a universal God without developing a close, intimate relationship with it, that's not alignment. Believing there is a God out there somewhere and not embracing the fact that you are one of its creations, a very real part of it, That's not alignment. My suggestion is that instead of doing exercises to manifest stuff, you begin a practice of prayerful contemplation. Set aside time each day and, you know, talk to God as you would someone you respect. Hello, God. It's Truman. I'd like to get to know you better. I'd like to bring out the best version of myself. I would like to learn to include you in every aspect of my life. So God, please help me illuminate my soul so that it may guide my human personality. Instant manifestation is possible. Of course it is. But it requires your alignment with the divine universe to be stabilized. In other words... You have to be in a place where you take it for granted that you and God are one, that the voices in your head are yours and God's only. And from that vantage point, all things are possible. And I do want to say just one other thing about this. I do have a problem with the way the law of attraction is presented in these New Age books, because it seems to be geared to form. I want a new Audi. I want a new Humvee. I want a new kitchen. I want a new boyfriend. I want a new thing. I should be able to manifest this. And while there's no problem with enjoying form, after all, we are on a physical planet. The whole point of divine alignment is to feel a vibration that comes before the creation of all of those things. Before we made these planets with all these fun little things in them to play with, and we did make them to be universal playgrounds, we kind of lost the point of that, but anyway, before we made them, we were pure source energy, unblemished. No words were needed, no communication was needed, everything was understood in the perfect vibration of unconditional love, and that is the vibration of creation. You can't use that power just to manifest toys. You want to align with that power, have an intimacy with it, make your spirit and your human work together. And once you're locked into that enlightenment, into that alignment, your life will never be the same. It will feel as if you manifest anything you want just by thinking of it. In ways perhaps you didn't expect, but it will come to you for your highest good, under grace in perfect ways, and all of that New Age jargon that you will like out there. So, please take that to heart. It's not a formula for manifestation. It's union with the divine. Once you're locked into that place, and you're vibing with the divine, hmm, you might rethink exactly what it is that you want to manifest. But I thank you for the question, Truman, because it's one of my uh, one of my pet peeves. One of my many pet peeves. Oh, let me have a little drinky poo. Why not? Mm. Definitely growing on me. Definitely growing on me. Mm. OK, what else lurks in the bowels of the fishbowl? Let's shake it up and see. And this one's from Andrea. And Andrea says, Ani, what do you think will happen when full disclosure of everything finally happens? Will there be violence? Will there be a complete collapse of society with days of darkness? Will airplanes fall out of the sky? Will trains be derailed? Will cars crash into each other? What level of chaos should we expect? Will everyone be presented with irrefutable evidence that cannot be denied? Well, Andrea, I'm not the bloody oracle of Delphi, darling. I mean, I have no bloody idea. But um, I do hope none of that really happens to that extent, because it all sounds rather grim, doesn't it? I don't believe everything will be disclosed in one fell swoop. And that alone should mitigate much of the inevitable chaos. Uh, will there be violence? Well, we can't discount it. Um, food shortages, if they get really crippling, and I know there's definitely gaps in my supermarket. So when the food shortages, uh, you know, get really serious, that will count for some of the violence. You know, people's got to feed their kids, right? Uh, Cabal-funded agitators, such as BLM, Antifa, and other groups they might be cooking up, will account for for some of the violence. Um, Sheer frustration, inability to process events, all of which, of course, are signs of a weak and feeble-minded society, will account for some of it. The proverbial days of darkness. I know people leave voicemails on my phone going, when's the 10 days of darkness? Well, I don't know. I don't think there's going to be 10 days of darkness, to be honest. But um, if everything goes down without notice, and it might, then, of course, there will be transportation, chaos and so much more. Um, You know, I mean, if the entire planet plunges into darkness with all the electronics down, yeah, that will be chaotic. You know, you're driving around and all the traffic lights go off. and um, It's actually really a very bad scenario, so I shan't talk about it. But I can't predict the level of violence and chaos. But somehow, in my heart of hearts, even though there is potential for full-blown cataclysm, I don't see that much physical chaos in our future. I expect millions of psyches to collapse because the war we're in is a war for control of our minds. You know, so many people today live in their personal, sterilized bubbles of naivety and insanity, don't they? And most will become unhinged, hopefully temporarily. And some will experience a type of catatonia. And I do expect anger and rage in spades sporadically. So a goodly amount of chaos is unavoidable. You know, people think they know what sort of world they live in, and then they find out it was all a lie and that they're actually slaves to the establishment and every organization out there of note is either part of the establishment or a slave to it. And then people figure out that they, act, they do indeed have some sort of Stockholm syndrome because they're defending their captors. Man, acknowledging the depth of one's ignorance, that is a bitter pill to swallow. We've offered the red pill, by the way. We've even sugarcoated and buffered it, and we listed possible beneficial side effects such as awakening, a desire to use critical thinking skills, and a return to common sense. We tried oh so hard to make all of this palatable, take this little tiny red pill, we said. It will dissolve slowly, it will help you understand current events. And I'm truly sorry for people who refused it, because now it's no longer a little tiny red pill, is it? No, it's not. It's a large red suppository. And that, my darlings, oof, ouch, is a very rude awakening indeed. As far as it goes with the, what did you write here? Oh, providing irrefutable evidence that cannot be denied. Well, we already have it. It just needs focused exposure. But let's accept that some folks, they'll just have too much self-righteous pride to accept they were deceived. The only thing I know for sure, my love, is that the light wins the war. So many people, there are so many thought forms, and it's not possible to predict timelines while people are actively changing their minds. But we have reached the critical mass. We are winning this war. It just needs to be exposed. So huzzah for that! In fact, that deserved a little kazoo chorus there. All right, let's see what else is in the fishbowl of perpetual perplexity. Okay, this one is from Omit. Personal details. And (laughs) oh boy, if I had a dollar for every time. Okay, um, this. Person Anonymous person says, years ago, you said Obama was a higher level soul who came in to serve the light. I guess you were wrong. Yes and no. I was right about him being a higher level soul who came in to serve the light by keeping things stable while mankind ascended. How quickly he was corrupted is another matter. He didn't come through for the light, did he? No. And his downfall, his veering from his true path, served as a warning for other like beings projecting themselves into human bodies and thinking it would be a walk in the park waking up humans who had over decades morphed from engaged citizens into cattle prodded consumers. So there we are. Um, We're all very disappointed in Obama, but there we go. People underestimate the cabal. You know, these guys have been at it for thousands of years. They know how to corrupt. They know how to terrify. Believe me, I've had decisive contact with them. Um, mm, all right, One more question, and I think then we can move on to other segments. This one is from Rosalind, who was originally from Bergen, but um, now lives in um, Tacoma a bit north from where I am. All right, so uh, Rosalind says, I have experienced weird symptoms recently and all in the last six months. I have mood swings, which are uncharacteristics. And then she puts in brackets, um, no, it's not a lady's issue. (laughs) She also says, I cannot regulate my body temperature and often become clammy I am restless and agitated. My eyesight suddenly, as if out of the blue, is not as sharp as it once was. I have joint pain in my ankles and most nights I do not sleep well. My friend who is a Reiki worker says it is probably ascension flu and temporary. Do you have any insight? Let me have a sip of my cocktail, Rosalind. Hmm. It's actually grown on me now. It's quite nice. OK. Rosalind, my darling, um, while Ascension flu is a thing. Six months, I'm not sure that that's actually temporary. I know I'm, I don't know what you look like. You didn't send me a picture. But as I talk to you now, <clears> throat> my throat is very, very sore and I feel like there's a lump on my thyroid, a small lump. So I don't know, you know, if you do medicine, um, you know, I understand if you don't. But I think you might have a thyroid dysfunction because I would have I would have a medical checkup. Yeah, I definitely feel it now. Oh, my God. I think you have a thyroid dysfunction. So a little medical checkup, if I were you, it can't hurt because six months, you know, hmm, hmm. all right. That's my input for you, Rosalind. I don't discount ascension flu. It is real. But uh, that little throat lump. Mm, Yeah, go see your doctor. Okay, that's it for Quack today. Questions, answers, and comments. And many thanks to our listeners for writing in. We do love hearing from you, um, because otherwise we just think we're sitting here talking into the ether. Uh, So it's just really lovely when someone writes and goes, I listen to your show. It's like, woohoo, huzzah, thank you so much. Lovely, give me a reason for living. Right, what shall we do next? Oh, I know what. I know what. Let's share some weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. And these selections today, uh, they're from our recent history. So here's one from 2014, and it's from Scotland. And I'm reading here. I'm, uh, I'm reading because that's what I do. That's how the words come off the page here. An Asda shelf stacker has relived the moment she was hunted down and attacked with a wine bottle by a former Countdown champion after she posted a bad review of his book online. Paige Rowland, 18 years old, said she feared for her life when Richard Britton smashed her as she lined up boxes of cereal in the supermarket. He had used the internet to find out everything about the 18-year-old, including where she lived and worked, after reacting unkindly to her unflattering analysis of his self-published title. The 28-year-old wordsmith, who was crowned winner of the Teatime TV quiz in 2006, then travelled 500 miles from his home in Bedford, England, to the town in Fife, tracking Miss Roland down to her place of work and hammering the glass bottle into her skull. What an absolute wanker. The blow knocked her out and left her with a gash in her head for which she was treated in hospital. And so he got picked up by the Glasgow sheriff, didn't he? Yes, and he went to court. Um, and, you know, after this whole incident, Miss Rowland told the mirror... Had he hit me any harder, I could have died. My first thought when I realized I'd been assaulted was for my mum and how awful it would be for her to get a phone call saying I had died. The court heard that the aspiring writer had uploaded a part of a published book of his um, that was called The World Rose onto a website called Wattpad, where people can read and critique literature by others. Darling, if you can't take criticism, that probably wasn't a very good idea, was it? So this Miss Rowland, she read the excerpt and she left comments about it. And apparently she didn't like it. The feedback was negative and she made some other you know, comments. And so he drives up and smacks her on the head with a wine bottle. But it seems that he had already stalked her before. What an intensely dysfunctional chap this is. Really and truly. I couldn't believe it, she said. The attack has left me nervous and fearful. I find it difficult to meet new people, and I'm nervous in big crowds. Yeah, you're probably frightened of wine bottles as well. Good Lord. Can you believe this? What a dreadful chap you are. Don't do that again. Heavens above, people. If I got upset every time someone told me they didn't write, they didn't like what I wrote, or they didn't like my last podcast, or... They disagree. I mean, if I could show people all the comments I've had and the hate mail from the trolls, well, I'd be out of wine if I did that. I'm certainly not wasting good wine on smashing people who disagree with me over the head. Oh, honestly, truly. Okay, All right. Well, you know, thank heavens that a motion for bail was refused. If you can't take criticism, Mr. Britton, don't put your work out on the public domain. Let's move on to something a little bit more cheery ice cream. Ah, ice cream. I dream about ice cream, especially since I just finished a 14 day fast. Um, Did you know, my darlings, that Ben and Jerry's has a graveyard where they bury their discontinued ice cream flavors? It's true. I researched it, I checked it out. It's in Waterbury, Vermont, and it's called the Flavor graveyard and it is located on the grounds of their factory it was opened in 1997 a memorial to bygone flavors (laughs) apparently originally it was only an online graveyard um until a handful of resin you know headstones were picked up mocked up and planted on a hill behind the factory a bit like a pet cemetery but for ice creams isn't it and each grave marker was given a clever epitaph that summed up the life and the death of the flavor and some of the dearly de-pinted flavors that is so clever um i didn't write it they did dearly de-pinted flavors include fan favorites like turtle soup fossil fuel and of course everyone's favorite wavy gravy some of the flavors ended up in the ground due to bad sales, while others met stranger fates. And each of the headstones also bears the birth and death dates of the flavors. And according to Ben & Jerry's site, there are 34 flavors interned in the Ben & Jerry's boneyard. And guess what, people? If you're in the Vermont area, you can take a factory tour, which includes a visit to the cemetery. Isn't that lovely? So you can go there and you can pay your respects to Wavy Gravy. Uh, You know, and apparently sometimes some of those flavors are resurrected. Ooh, kind of like a zombie graveyard. The flavor was dead, but now it's resurrected. So, hey, let me know if you go there because I have a few prayers for some of my favorite uh, deep-pinted flavors. And uh, I'd be very, very happy if you would say those prayers at the appropriate epitaph. Thank you so much. Moving on, um, there's a little tidbit that a friend of mine sent me, a friend of mine who lives in Inverness in Scotland. Um, and he said, Arnie, did you know about the Isle of Discussion? And I have to say, I didn't. Apparently, it's, there's an island called the Isle of Discussion, and it's in a place called Loch Leven. You know, people, there's about 30,000 lochs which are lakes in Scotland. Um, and this is not one of the most remarkable ones because it doesn't have a monster in it. But it is a place called the Isle of Discussion, a tiny island located a short row from Loch Leven's southern shore. And for hundreds of years, arguing members of the clan MacDonald were sent to the island by the clan's chief and had to remain there until their disputes were resolved. And to help the feuding parties come to a swift and hopefully peaceful agreement, they were left with a supply of cheese, oat cakes, and Scotch whiskey. When they eventually settled their disputes, the clan members rode up the lock to the Isle of Covenant, where agreements were drawn up and sealed. Now, Using alcohol to end arguments might seem counterintuitive, and often it is, uh, you know. But according to the sources, this traditional practice more surprisingly peaceful returns. In the past 1,500 years, there's apparently been just one homicide in the region. And okay, so maybe it is a good idea, not just because of the whiskey. but, you know, removing the feuding parties from the rest of the clan where gossip and other people's petty, ego-driven agendas can't fuel the fire, that's really nice. So you boys have got a problem. We're going to row you out onto this little island in the middle of the loch. Here's some whiskey, here's some oats, and here's some cheese. A very explosive combination, in my opinion. But you can't return until you make peace. I like that idea. I really do. Ah, I might try that one day. Um, I'm not going to go away to Scotland for it, though. There must be an island on the Willamette here somewhere. Well, my darlings, I think that's probably it for weird and waggy tidbits, weird and wacky tidbits from the anus of history. What shall we do now? I know what we'll do now. It's time for... A go-go! A little what-the-heck with your favourite tarot deck. And I am still using the Robin Wood deck. I think I'm just going to continue using that one because it's pretty, and I do like pretty things. All right, where are we? I think we did the Nine of Cups last show. So that means we are on the Nine of Pentacles. So I'll give you all a moment, if you are following this segment, to go out and get the Nine of Pentacles. So let me pick up this card and let me see what wisdom, what impressions it imparts to me. It's a, a lovely lady, an elegant lady, in her garden. She has a falcon or a hawk on one arm. Um. It's a lovely gate behind her with the the nine pentacles on it. The whole scene is, it's affluent. Definitely affluent. She's well set. Uh, She's all right for money. But more than that, um, I almost get the impression she's self-made. Or perhaps self-reliant is a better way of putting it. Um, Maybe self-mastery. This is a woman who knows how to conduct herself. This is a woman who knows how to make the best of every situation. She has a certain quiet grace to her. What else does the card impart to us? Pentacles are about finances, aren't they? So there's definitely a desire for the financial security. She has definitely taken steps to achieve that. I mean, this card sort of just does ooze money, success, you know, fruitful things. Um, she's got that bird on her arm, so that's a recreational activity, probably a very expensive one. So she has um, plenty of time for leisure. And I... You know what I don't know she may have married into it but for the most part she feels very self-made to me it's a well-deserved success let's put it that way definitely um so if you get this card you know if you're going to pick it random because we all know with tarot the meanings of the cards depends on the position in the spread and what cards are around them and all of that but if you pick it random It's definitely to do with money matters, and it's to do perhaps an inheritance or a good return on your stock market, a good return on real estate matters, Um, dividends, that sort of thing. Hmm. Added income. There's a certain sense of satisfaction with this card. You know, the good use of one's resources. She's also shown alone in there. So I think that goes in with the self-mastery. She's okay being alone. She's probably perfectly fine in a social situation. But I think she enjoys being alone as well. She has that capacity. It's probably somebody who enjoys the outdoors to an extent. Um, Hmm. A very, very positive and uplifting card. So what am I getting from this in terms of what advice I would give? I mean, this is clearly a woman in control of her thought process, a woman who is in control of her destiny. She has self-worth. But yet it's possible deep down inside there's a little something missing there. And she goes out into the garden to contemplate that. Hmm. Um, what else do I get from this in the upright position? There could be so much. Um, besides the money aspect of it, I feel that we should definitely explore how comfortable we are with our own voice. We should explore how comfortable we are being alone. I get that. And tomorrow I might get something else. So, you know, that's the way with tarot. You don't just open a book and read the you know, definition of it. It's a relationship with a card. You form a relationship with the people in the cards, so they can talk to you and tell you what's going on in their head pertinent to the seeker's question. Hmm. Let me turn her upside down. A bit rude, really, but let me do it. And then let's see what she's like in the reverse position, which we also call the challenged position in tarot. Well, okay, it's not going so well now. You see, she's upside down. (laughs) Um, I don't think you're going to get the financial yields that you thought you were. And there could be many reasons for that. It could be the great reset for all we know. But it could also be that you've made some bad decisions. I get the feeling there could even be theft in this. Some sort of deceit and theft. Um, you know when one, if you don't really vet the people that you're working with well enough and they sort of skim off the top and we have to you know, have no option then but to suffer the consequences of our choices, could also mean dirty money, polluted money, ill-gotten gains, as they used to say back in the day. Um, Certainly some sort of financial setback with this. You know, so I would say, if things aren't working out well for you, check the foundations that you built your would-be empire on. Um, And definitely double-check the references Do a background check of all the people that you're working with. Um, Because there's a certain amount of dishonesty with this card in the upright position. I really don't have a very good feeling about it. Um, It's almost as if I can see people off the card, sort of in the back, off stage, as they would say, sort of giggling nervously, like thinking they got away with something. But they're also giggling nervously because they're not sure that they actually got away with it. Mm. So that is the nine of pentacles. Darlings, my gosh, you know, we have been doing a lot of these shows and we are getting close to the end of our tarot with this. Um, I have enjoyed this section. I've often said, you know, maybe I shouldn't do it. Not everyone's into tarot. And then every time I try to not do this section or I miss it or I, I, I run out of time, I get, well, you know, at least a dozen letters, which is a lot for me, um, telling me, please bring back tarot, bring back tarot. So guess what? We're always going to do tarot until we finish the whole deck. And then perhaps we'll see. Um, perhaps Course Meek Reality Radio will let me do a tarot podcast once in a while or, you know, we'll see how things go. All right, so that was Tarot-a-go-go. <laughs> That's my brand new kazoo. Very pretty little one. What shall we do now? I know what. Let's have a bit of fun. Um, I hope it's fun. Anyway, let's do a little pat of poetry. Yes, folks. After a hard day shamaning, I like nothing better than coming home, putting my feet up. Pouring myself a nice cup of tea or a small drinky poo and writing really bad, but occasionally brilliant, silly, non-peer-reviewed poetry. And I've got stacks of this stuff. And one day soon, I think I should probably put it all into a book and just terrorize mankind with it, because clearly we're not going through enough. Let me have a little drinky poo before I share this latest gem of wisdom with you. Oh. Oh. You know, that drink's a keeper. It really has grown on me. All right. This poem, which I wrote this morning, (laughs) is called Pondering What's Upper While Drinking a Lovely Cupper. And here we go. Spirit would never call us sinners because we were coded to be winners. Explorers of space, cosmic, galactic, fearless and bold was the original tactic. With universal blessings, we were showered. Odd then to see how we ended up as cowards. The original program is still intact. We are source experiencing and that's a fact. All that we see, we co-created. Upon review, though, it leaves one somewhat deflated. What happened to our internal go-getter? The daily desire to evolve and do better. How sad it is to see such wasted potential. Oh my God, am I in the midst of a crisis existential? Ah, maybe not. Perhaps I'm just fed up waiting for mankind to cut through the B.S. and to giddy up. The wheel of time has no sensory faculty, and mankind today is lost in a badly written fantasy. At times such as these, when my mind is unsettled, it's best to step back and to put on the kettle. Tea cheers me up and makes my mind feel festive especially when accompanied by a McVitie's Digestive. <laughs> you know what? That's not as bad as I thought it was this morning. Um, for those who don't know, a McVitie's Digestive is a biscuit, a cookie, as we call it in America, and it's quite delicious, and it goes with a cup of tea very, very well. All right, my darlings, um, now that we have all, like, groaning at that poem, um, it's a good time to say to you, don't forget to visit my website, avidstin.com to see all the classes services and events on offer and I think I mentioned on the last podcast that I do now teach a course in miracles. I have a group on the second and fourth Monday of each month and private tuition is also offered and if you have your own group of four or more uh, then we can you know discuss alternative scheduling. For you. But I believe that A Course in Miracles has so much to offer to people who are trying to find the authentic self and merge it with the true nature of our spiritual essence. It, you know, I know it's verbose and a lot of people have difficulty with the language. You know, people who come from a Bible background, a scripture background, they love the wording. It's very, very comforting and familiar to them. People who are a little bit more secular find it a little bit too much like religion. But you know what? That's just the way it was written. And there's gems of wisdom, even from the medieval times, and this is from the 70s. But, you know, there's gems of wisdom from medieval times that has similar language. And we're not going to dismiss it just because they use, you know, different descriptives and different pronouns. And don't get me started on pronouns. Um, So visit my website and see all the lovely things I have to offer. Uh, On the 21st of this month, I believe it's the 21st, it's a Saturday. Uh, If you're really interested in learning about um, the Khazarian Mafia, I have a Cosmic Conversation you can sign up for. So go to my website and click on the Cosmic Conversation page and learn all about a whole bunch of Mongolian shamans who ended up actually ruling the world. My darlings, oh my gosh, it's happened again. It's almost the end of the show. I do hope you enjoyed listening in as much as I enjoyed recording it, because I mean it when I say it's always a pleasure to spend time with seekers of truth and peace. And in that spirit, let's talk about today's spirit in the form of the cocktail du jour, which was an opera martini. And here's how you make it. Three parts gin. I recommend you use Bombay Sapphire for this one. One part Bonnet Blanc, which is a sort of a fortified wine vermouth, but don't substitute vermouth. Use Bonnet Blanc and half a part of the marashimo cherry liqueur, and don't use the cheap nasty stuff, use Luxardo. So you combine all of these ingredients into a cocktail shaker with cracked ice, I'm really big on cracked ice, and you shake well, and you pour into a chilled cocktail glass, and then you dress it with a lemon twist. And it's really quite yummy. I'm going to take my last sip now. And as I do so, I salute you all and send you all my love. Mmm. That is delicious. I'm glad this is a podcast and not a video because I dribbled some of that. Oh, really very, very yummy. Well, darlings, I think that's it for today. So remember, folks, cocktails are great if they are an occasional treat. If you use top-quality ingredients and take the art of mixology seriously, one drink is all you need. I'm Arnie, Mad Sharman This was Metaphysical Martini, a production of Cosmic Reality Radio, to whom we are most grateful. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Until we meet again, check your common sense meters. And above all, let the spirit inhabit the human. You have been listening to The Metaphysical Martini with Annie Apatisian, The Mad Shaman, a production of CosmicReality.com Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com For a huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available.